All right, all right. You mean bacteria on me right now? Clean, clean, and then clean again. Bacteria. Bacteria? Look, there's bacteria. Bacteria. Bacteria? You might not see them, but they're there. Bacteria. Bacteria? Everything you touch. Bacteria. Bacteria. That's right. Salmonella. All right, we are back. In the minutes we have left, I definitely want to talk about things having to do with space and some things having to do with money. What shall we start with? Let's go space. Space it is. All right, headline news this week. Apparently one of our nearest celestial neighbors, the star Tau Ceti, apparently has no less than five planets. This has not been confirmed, but based on studies of how the uh, the spectrum of the star shifts, uh, they've been able to deduce indirectly that there must be five things orbiting it. Now, Tau Ceti has a bit of history. It was one of the first two stars that were looked at when the search for extraterrestrial intelligence was first launched back in the 1960s. Tau Ceti and the star Epsilon Eridani were both about 12 light years away, neighbors. They're both very similar in, in uh, their brightness to our own sun. And without having any idea whether either of these uh, stars might have planets, well, they just, they just started listening. As the decades have unspooled, we've now learned that lots and lots of stars have planets. We're finding them all the time. And it's very cool that there is a star system. And so far, I think no one has uh, invented a, a generic term for um, the solar systems, as it were, around other stars. So I guess we'll use star system as it might be used by Star Trek. And by the way, Tau Ceti did appear in, uh, in uh, some episodes of Star Trek, also in novels from Isaac Asimov and Robert Heinlein. And apparently the movie Barbarella <laughs> gets, gets near it as well. Scientists are saying that Tau Ceti's five planets are more like our own system than, um, than most other solar systems that have been discovered so far. Their sizes are on the smaller end of the scale but uh, they're between two and six times bigger than the Earth. There's one that is in the Goldilocks zone, about four times bigger than Earth, orbiting its star in a 168-day, quote, year, unquote. And uh, on the same general area of uh, extraterrestrial life or the possibility of it, or certainly planets orbiting other places, uh, well, um, The Economist noted last month that um, astrobiologists have realized that there's so many planets out there that they surely have lots of moons around them. And it may well be that when we think about uh, life on other planets, we should also be thinking about life on other moons. I know James Cameron sent uh, set Avatar, not on an alien planet, but on the moon of uh, such a planet. And of course, looking around our own solar system, uh, some of the moons of our neighbors are quite interesting. You may have noted that uh, on Sat Saturn's moon, Titan, they've now discovered the first river system on another world. The photos show a, a river uh, coming out of the usual dendritic pattern. Uh, that is the, you know, the, the pattern we see in, in terrain on Earth, no, which lets us know that there are rivers there between, uh, between peaks. Well, they're finding the same thing on Titan, except that the, the liquid is not water. The liquid doing the carving and flowing into a lake is either ethane or methane. Now, Carl Sagan and others doing the math many years ago calculated that uh, given the temperatures and atmospheric pressure that the Titan was very likely to have such compounds. And they had found organics in the atmosphere from spectrography here on Earth. And it's very cool to note that they were all correct in their assumptions. 
Titans got lakes all over the place and, and rivers that feed them. Inside the atmosphere, you can find ethane or methane in, uh, in the various three states that we find water here on Earth. Solid, liquid, and gas. Scientists had successfully uh, deduced this many years ago to conclude that there probably was a liquid rain on the, on the surface of, uh, of, of Titan, and there is. It's very cool stuff. Unfortunately, there's been some um, uh, pulling back on the idea of landing a boat. There actually have been efforts to design a craft that could be put down on the liquid surface on Titan, but uh, for one reason or another, people are, are balking at this. Not because it can't be done, not because it wouldn't be scientifically interesting, but just because of, you know, budget constraints. As you may note from listening to this program, we are huge boosters of this type of activity. Our feeling is that various... Uh, Industries, aerospace industries, would be better employed coming up with space missions than when with building uh, different types of aircraft to blow people up. But the search for moons is quite interesting. There was a program recently on late night TV showing how it is that tidal flexing causes a heat to be generated in the moons of Jupiter. Uh, in the most, in the case of the most inner moon, Io. There's a flexing of something like 300 feet shift in the tides in the crust of Io, which is generating so much heat that it's got volcanoes all over its surface. The next moon out, um, Europa, isn't quite as uh, vigorous in the shaking and stirring that it's getting from uh, its orbit around Jupiter, but it has enough heat being generated to reshape the surface, which is of ice. Many folks think that one of the very best places to look for life in our solar system would be to drill down through that surface ice to find the liquid ocean beneath it on Europa and see if there isn't, aren't some organisms there. It's possible. We also want to refer you, and today's been a day of magazine referrals, I guess, to Discover Magazine, current issue, piece about uh, hunting planets. Interview with William Baruki, who was the... the um, who was the motive force behind the Kepler planet-finding telescope that's currently finding planets everywhere. Well, not everywhere, but everywhere they're looking. But I got a quote uh, from the piece because uh, it makes reference to another Radio Parallax guest. When asked by the authors of the piece, when did you start thinking about a mission to find planets around other stars? William Baruki answered Ames, that's Ames Research Institute in the Bay Area, has all, had always had seminars by prominent scientists. In the 1970s, they had seminars about finding planets beyond our solar system. People like uh, Freeman Dyson were quite active in this area. And again, we would refer you to our own archives for a wonderful chat we had with the legendary uh, thinker, Freeman Dyson. Said Baruki, most of them were interested in trying to find planets through astrometry, measuring the change in the position of stars due to the pull of their planet's gravity. That's how they located those planets around Tau Ceti, said Baruki, I didn't know anything about astrometry, but between my work on heat shields and lightning, I did know a lot about photometry, studying the intensity of light. I began to think that maybe photometry could be a way to find planets. I talked to some of the people in the seminars, but there was no interest. Everyone was convinced the job was going to be done with astrometry. But Baruki noted that he went to the literature to see what he might find and discovered a 1971 piece in the journal Icarus by a neurosurgeon named Frank Rosenblatt. He described it as a brilliant paper about how you could find planets around other stars by measuring the light from those stars. If a planet passed between the star and your telescope, you'd see a little drop in the intensity of the light. 
Unfortunately, after Rosenblatt submitted the paper, he went canoeing on a river and drowned. But Ames astronomer Audrey Summers and I started with Rosenblatt's paper and made some corrections to it and then asked ourselves what kind of equipment would be required to take the measurements. In 1984, we wrote a paper concluding you could detect Jupiter-sized planets this way using ground-based telescopes. But to get to much smaller Earth-sized planets, you'd need a telescope above the distortions of the atmosphere out in space. They describe how Baruki kept pitching this idea to NASA, and NASA kept saying no, and then no, and then no again. NASA said nobody ever demonstrated you could track thousands of stars simultaneously to get with good precisions. They said, go build an observatory and prove it can be done. So, south of San Jose at the Lick Observatory, 30 miles from Ames, they borrowed a tiny broken-down old dome with a small telescope and showed that you could do photometry on 6,000 stars simultaneously. They proposed the Kepler mission again in 1988 and got turned down a fourth time. But NASA did give them $500,000 and say, if you can build a, a detector that'll pick up very subtle changes in light intensity, we might think about it. Well, Baruki went out and built one, had to come up with some innovations to do so, but uh, showed that it could be done. And well, the rest, I guess you could say, is history. Chris Baruki describes it as saying that in January of 2000, NASA finally said to him, all right, we give up. Here's your money. These studies needed to be done for several years to get various incidents repeating themselves. Say you're out in deep space looking back at our own sun, and you see the Earth pass in front of the sun. Well, to be sure that you're actually seeing that and not a sunspot or something like that, you have to see the event repeat itself. So to get three sub-observations, you'd have to wait three years in the case of the Earth uh, passing in front of the sun. Similarly, to be sure about uh, planets around some of these other stars they're looking at, they have to have several years of observations. Well, that is now accumulating. We expect to have all kinds of planets to talk about in 2013, and we're looking forward to doing so. All right, in the five minutes we got left, we want to talk a little bit about money. Do want to note uh, from the Week magazine, the talking point section about uh, who killed the Twinkies, the death of Hostess, or possible death of Hostess. Some are blaming the inability to come to agreement with the union, but John Nichols in The Nation said... The unions didn't ask for more in pay or better benefits, and they'd already accepted thousands of layoffs and major concessions. Hostess was smashed by vulture capitalists who loaded the company with debt and earned millions in fees, and by incompetent managers who gave themselves huge raises as the company faltered. The CEO who led the company back into bankruptcy earlier this year got a 300% raise even as the company stopped contributing to workers' pension funds. Sounds like a familiar story, doesn't it? All right, two final items in the last two minutes. We've advocated for the getting rid of the penny in America, and maybe this will convince you. Apparently, the owner of a tattoo gallery and coffee shop in Pittsburgh, Mel Angst, decided to pave his floor with 250,000 pennies. He placed them all with Lincoln's face looking up. Now, if that sounds like a costly way to tile your floor, keep this in mind. When you do the math, the cost of the materials only added up to $2,500, about $3 per square foot. Report in angst, amazingly, it's a lot cheaper to glue money to your floor than actually buy tile. Mr. McMillan does point out that you can get tile for a buck a square foot. Yeah, but does it have Lincoln looking up? All right, final item. Who says crime doesn't pay? According to the Daily Mail in the UK, an Austrian court has ordered that stolen cash be given to the bank robber because it, quote, can't find anybody else to take the money. Reportedly, in 1993, bank manager Otto Newman made off with more than $250,000 in cash and gold bars. 
By the time he was caught, just 82000 could be recovered, and the money's been sitting at the Austrian Justice Ministry ever since. The bank won't claim the cash because the insurance company covered the loss. The insurer also refuses the money since the gold that was recovered had substantially increased in value and erased losses from the payout. So, a court awarded the funds to Newman, who served three and a half years in jail for the robbery. Said Newman's lawyers, to say he was surprised was an understatement. And on that note, I think we must close today's program. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You have been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We would like to wish you all a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, and a uh, copacetic Kwanzaa. Next week's program will be our last of the year, so we'll try and do our year in review, including uh, a backlog of a lot of obituaries whose passing uh, we need to note. And I must apologize for not, in spite of my best intentions, getting to any of the travel stuff we talked about at the top of the show. We'll have to defer that to the first of the year, I guess. That's good, though. It'll give me time to flesh out a story about Vanuatu, where I left off last week, where apparently there is a cult that worships Prince Philip. I do believe Vanuatu was one of the locations of the various cargo cults from World War II that worship a man named John Frum and believe in Jesus-like fashion he's going to return with all kinds of cool stuff like the Americans brought in World War II. We'll run that tale down and much more when we meet again. We'll see you next week. Come on now.